Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins? And welcome into the Friday, June the 7th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Winkfield. And as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, practice was canceled on Thursday, but the podcast goes on with summer break officially here for the Dolphins. We're going to recap part one of the offseason. Plus, Minka Fitzpatrick confirms my recent comments about his usage in 2018, as well as all Dolphins fans' concerns over the defensive coaching in recent years. We're going to jump back into the Twitter mailbag and finish things up with a fun game that I'm calling Satirical Headlines Dolphins Need to Avoid This Offseason. All of that and much more, but first, before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to please subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya Podcast app. Leave us a rating, leave us a review, give me a follow on Twitter. It's at NFL. the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, as voted by Dolphins Twitter, as well as the show at Locked On Fins. You can check out the offseason recap on LockedOnDolphins.com, as well as all of our other written Dolphins content. And last but not least, the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts, like the Locked On Heat podcast and Locked On NFL podcast for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Let's go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. And we have official preseason dates announced here at the end of the first week in June. We knew who the opponents were a long time ago, but now we have dates and times. As August the 8th, a Thursday night, the Dolphins will host the Atlanta Falcons at 7.30 Eastern Time at Hard Rock Stadium. August 16th, the following Friday, so an eight-day layoff between games, the Dolphins will visit the Buccaneers and Ryan Fitzpatrick's former team, also at 7.30 Eastern Time down there at Raymond James Stadium. August 22nd, a Thursday, so just six days between games, the Dolphins will host the Jaguars at 8 o'clock Eastern Time at Hard Rock Stadium, and that game is going to be on national television on Fox, so you'll get an up-close look at the Dolphins team and the dress rehearsal game on national TV, and they finish up the following Thursday, August the 29th at New Orleans at 8 o'clock Eastern time as well down at the Mercedes-Benz Superdome in New Orleans. So that's the preseason slate. I know preseason usually is more of a tease than anything, but I do think that this year preseason probably holds a much more important circumstance in terms of what this team is going to be going forward and how they're going to develop these players and who's going to play a lot in this season under Brian Flores, especially on that defense. So I, for one, am very excited about those exhibition games and doing some evaluating. Let's go ahead and change gears into our head story today. As it refers to a fantastic article written by Adam Beasley of the Miami Herald, you guys can find it on the Herald. The title is A Close Look at Minka Fitzpatrick's Role and Why He Wasn't Set Up to Succeed in 2018. And this thing basically confirms the things I have been saying the last couple of weeks regarding Minka's usage and how even though he played all over the field on defense for the Dolphins last year in his rookie season, It was really done more out of just necessity of finding spots for him to play to fill in for injured players or just kind of throwing him all over the field and trying to see what stuck best. And that is a horrible way to do things for a rookie defensive back, no matter how far advanced he is from a cerebral aspect and from the mental aptitude that comes with playing these positions in the secondary, the position that drives this particular defense in Miami now. 
And frankly, this kind of reminds me of the Joe Philbin era on the offensive line when they would just plug guys in at random positions like every other day. For instance, Billy Turner would play right guard one day. He'd go over and play left tackle the next day. There was just no ability for him to finally tune his mechanics at one position and get into a rhythm and into a routine at that position. And I kind of feel in a similar vein regarding Minka Fitzpatrick and the secondary last year, as in this article, Adam explores some of Minka's thoughts on the position he plays this year compared to what it was last year. And he starts off by saying that at practice, he didn't play free safety. He played some strong, he played inside, outside, and lined up in the box, basically playing all over the field. And that might sound somewhat innocuous on the surface, but Minka's quote in the article is really condemning of Matt Burke and the defensive staff saying, quote, I wanted a position to focus on. Last year, I couldn't. I was playing multiple roles when I was at Alabama, but I know what I was going to do week to week. Last year, this is the part that really gets me. Last year, it was kind of all over the place. It was sporadic. It would change up halfway through the week. Some of it was because of injuries, and some of it was because they didn't know where to put me. He continued, this year, I know where I'm going to be at. I know exactly what positions I need to learn, what concepts I need to learn, and I'm just more comfortable. I wasn't saying that I wanted to learn just strong safety or cornerback. I wanted there to be a game plan so I could prepare the right way. Last year, I couldn't prepare the right way because I didn't know what I was doing. You could say I could tell you the whole defense, but you just can't do that. That is absolutely mind-blowing that on a National Football League team, the highest level of this profession, these guys were that clueless that they were moving him around midweek and had no real direction for what they wanted him to be and a plan for development. You go back and listen to any scout or any podcast that talks about in-depth scouting, like the Move the Sticks podcast, for instance, they will say the biggest thing a rookie needs is a plan for how to develop him. You can draft great players all you want. They can have all the talent in the world, but if you don't have a plan, it's not going to work. And Minka's success last year, despite all those mitigating factors, is kind of remarkable when you think about because he had to overcome poor coaching and still played at a high level. It really is just awfully, awfully mind-boggling for a fan, for a media member, for someone that follows this game closely or casually. It just makes no sense on any level whatsoever. And you finish up this Brian Flores quote that Adam Beasley got from his press conference regarding what position Minka Fitzpatrick's going to play this year. And coach says, quote, I'll know what he's doing. You guys probably will not know what he's doing. And the important thing there for Fitzpatrick is that he knows exactly what he's doing because all these positions have a plan. He mentioned the concepts and being in specific spots and being straight up honest with him and being transparent about his role and what he's doing right, what he's doing wrong. All this can be found in the article on the Miami Herald by Adam Beasley, again, titled A Close Look at Minka Fitzpatrick's Role and Why He Was Not Set Up to Succeed in 2018. Just Crazy, crazy stuff. And it kind of refers back to a comment that I had from Joe Shad on this podcast, Joe Shad of the Palm Beach Post. Back in 2017 in December, he came on the podcast for the first time. He's been on since then. And the good news is Joe Shad returns to the podcast probably sometime next week to recap OTAs for us here on the Lockdown Dolphins podcast, part of the Lockdown Podcast Network. But when I had Joe on the show, he said the name of the game for the defense that season in 2017 was I thought you had him. And of course, what Joe means by that was all the communication errors they had on defense. And every time somebody got into the end zone and got behind the coverage, you would see two Dolphins defenders looking at each other, arguing about who had the right coverage in that spot. 
And you go back to last season after the Buffalo Bills game, we had spoken to Minka Fitzpatrick in the locker room after the game, and our staff editor, Jason Harina, at Miami D-Punks on Twitter, asked Minka about some of the miscommunication issues they had, and Minka wouldn't talk about it because he's a trained professional and he's smart that way. He's going to keep issues in-house, but I find it very, very revealing that he felt the need to go ahead and say this to the media and open up about it and be transparent about the horrible, horrible misusage in 2018. Okay, we're going to come back on the other side of the podcast here and talk about the off-season recap article, the State of the Dolphins post-off-season workout program edition up on LockedOnDolphins.com. And real quick, before I do that, I want to tell you guys about Grip6 Belts. Today's show is brought to you in part by Grip6. Their belts are revolutionary and ultra lightweight. They have no holes and no flap, and they make a great Father's Day gift. Just go to Grip6 right now for a special offer when using promo code LOCK, L-O-C-K-E. That's Grip6.com slash LOCK. really kind of funny what the NFL has become in recent years. For a long time, it was a five-month event, the NFL season, basically just the games. And then it became about the draft and free agency, extending things out seven to eight months on the calendar. But now, with all of these OTAs and off-season programs and Twitter and all the fun stuff we have at our disposal, it's a 10-month ordeal. And we're going into the two months off on the entire calendar right now starting today and the basically only sport we have to watch right now is baseball so i guess get out in the sun and enjoy your friends and your family that way i suppose what else are we supposed to do but anyway we have a piece up on lockedondolphins.com called state of the dolphins post offseason program edition and we're looking at the net value gained and lost this offseason and you look at it on its surface it's not good I mean, there's players the Dolphins lost that they can do without, obviously. But just looking at their PFF positional ranks last year, they lost Ryan Tannehill, Frank Gore, Jawan James, Josh Sitton, Robert Quinn, and Cam Wake were the most important players Miami lost. And you go off those PFF grades, Tannehill was 60th out of 70 quarterbacks. Frank Gore was 13th out of 137 running backs. Jawan James, 32nd out of 132 tackles. And then you have Quinn was 55th out of 186 defensive ends. And Cam Wake was 17th out of 186 defensive ends as well. And I just think that you look at the losses the Dolphins had, Maybe they will have an impact on this roster right away because they didn't do a whole lot to replace those guys as top-line starters, but the issue on the roster last year was a lack of depth, and once they lost some of these starters and that depth had to step up, that's when things really got off the rails for the 2018 Miami Dolphins, and in my opinion, for a rebuilding organization that wants to kind of step back and get themselves realigned and get their financial situation squared away first before they start going crazy in terms of trying to plug holes with band-aids and patchwork, they are going to elevate some of those younger guys into more prominent roles and through this new developmental-based program, try to find out what they have in the rest of the roster so it gives them more clarity on which positions to address next offseason when the team is maybe more ready to compete for an AFC East title or a playoff spot or whatever it might be. And you look at the notable roster value acquired, the veterans of that aspect at least, 
Ryan Fitzpatrick was the 10th rated quarterback on PFF last year out of 70. Josh Rosen, the 53rd. Dwayne Allen, I didn't see this coming. 106th tight end out of 122. Chris Reed, 77th of 131 offensive guards. And Eric Rowe, 107th out of 200 cornerbacks. And this is basically a boomer bust class. We're going to find out what Chris Reed can be as a starting guard because he's been a swing interior lineman his entire career. Obviously, you have the two quarterbacks in lockstep there trying to battle it out for the starting job. You have the tight end, Dwayne Allen, whose basic role or the, the primary role that he was brought in here to Miami for was to free up Mike Kosicki to do more things that he does well. And then between Carradine and Eric Rowe, you have two guys who you're hoping can be lottery winning tickets based upon buying them off of injury riddled careers and injury plagued seasons in the past. That's the idea with those guys. And then you go forward to this draft class. And that's probably where the most valuable entities were gained, even though I don't think this draft class was one of the best ones under Chris Greer, especially not the best one going back to 2016 when his first two draft picks were Laramie Tunzel and Xavier Howard. But you start with Christian Wilkins, who's going to start on this defense, and I assume play 70% or more of the snaps right away. If Michael Dieter, the third round pick, number 78 overall starts... That's another player that starts and plays 100% of the snaps on the offensive line. I think the rest of the guys in the draft class are role players slash developmental guys at best. To me, this offseason, the Dolphins acquired five guys that will have new significant roles on this team for 2019 and possibly beyond, but also possibly not. They are, of course, the starting quarterback position between Fitzpatrick and Rosen. On the offensive line, I think you've got Michael Dieter as a left guard and Chris Reed as a right guard. At cornerback, Eric Rowe figures to be the starting perimeter corner opposite Xavier Howard, and then Christian Wilkins as a 70 to 80% or so snap taker on the defensive line are the five biggest personnel changes on this roster. But to me, it's more about the unquantifiable changes. And it goes back to the comment I made yesterday referring to Omar Kelly's piece talking about the little there is to love about this team going forward. Well, I talked about the Minka Fitzpatrick thing in the opening segment and where he was last year compared to this year in terms of the coaching staff correctly deploying him. And I just think this brand new staff that has all the championship pedigree is at least going to give these players more opportunities to showcase their best traits and mitigate their biggest weaknesses. And that to me is the biggest change of the offseason in general. And with that, with this roster overturn, I think there are two major position battles we're going to watch throughout the course of training camp. Of course, there are other ones as well, but these two will really determine what the football team looks like in 2019. Of course, it starts at quarterback. I think Ryan Fitzpatrick, clearly the best quarterback right now. Will he be come October? Who knows? That's anybody's guess. If he starts off slow as a starter, you go to Josh Rosen and he gets 12 or 13 games. No harm, no foul. You gave Fitzpatrick a chance after he beats Rosen in the training camp offseason program, if that is the case. My projected opening day winner of that job is, in fact, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And the next big position for battles is pretty much the entirety of the offensive line. We know that Laramie Tunzel is a left tackle, but between Michael Dieter, Dan Kilgore, Chris Reed, Jesse Davis, Jordan Mills, maybe Isaiah Prince is in there. You're going to have to find four starters, and I think it goes with the first four guys I listed between Dieter, Kilgore, Reed, and Jesse Davis that win that job eventually and round out your 2019 opening day offensive line. The other two positions I think have the most intriguing camp battles to watch 
upcoming in this July-August training camp is the cornerback spot and the sub-package linebacker spot between Andrew Van Ginkle, Jerron Elliott, Chase Allen, Mike Hole, whoever it might be, and then a cornerback, the same four names I've talked about all offseason, Tankersley, Davis, McTire, and Armstrong, with a few UDFAs added to that bunch as well. So we have plenty to watch in the preseason. My projected depth chart for the season is up on the article, but I'm going to leave that for you guys to go check it out on LockedOnDolphins.com. I'm not going to list them off right here on the podcast for you guys, but the long and the short of it is that the vital first step, the first phase of this Flores administration is complete. It was based upon building this program, the TNT wall, the four to one physical versus mental aspect they had, that banner that donned the back wall at the Dolphins practice facility. That part portion of the offseason has come to an end and now we spin it forward to the two month down period and we'll find out, I guess, if Flores' plan has taken hold early or if it's going to take some more time to institute. I do think this roster is lacking quite a bit of talent, but it's up to this coaching staff to get this team developed and get them feeling good, get us fans feeling good going in to the 2020 season when the team has a lot more resources to work with during the course of the offseason. Okay, it's time to finish up the Twitter mailbag from yesterday's show. You guys know the drill. I put the call out on Twitter. You respond and get your answer, your question answered here on the podcast, as well as a Twitter shout out. And this first one today comes in from Eyebrows on Fleek at Eyebrows212. The best outcome this year, number one, a young ascending defense that takes a massive step and props up a mediocre Rosen to seven and nine. Two, the defense sucks. Rosen sucks. Two and 14 and number one pick in the draft. Number three, defense absolutely blows, but Rosen puts the team on his back, but the team still winds up unlucky and goes four and 12. I'll take number one with a young ascending defense because that's an entire unit, an entire mentality you can build a football team around. The number two option to me sucks in general because that means you didn't develop any of these any of these units on the roster and you have nothing to write home about and you're putting a rookie quarterback, albeit to a Tungavailoa who's going to be a stud in the NFL, you're putting him in a program that has nothing to bank on. I'd rather see a good young defense and put a quarterback into that position next year and that way we can win football games right away and have the quarterback learn how to win games late and develop his statistical prowess later as his career goes along. So give me option number one where the young ascending defense carries a bad quarterback, which I think is the best bet as far as long-term prospects for getting excited about this team in 2019. Okay, we got a couple of draft questions for 2020 coming across the wire here. This first one comes in from Traveran Coleman at tpoppy2113. What is your tape study so far on outlier QBs? I love reminding you about Jordan Love. I'm just impressed when I see him play. But what about the others like KJ Costello or Jacob Eason? I actually like both those Pac-12 quarterbacks quite a bit. I think that Eason has a long way or he has a high ceiling in terms of how far he can climb based upon the year off. But I still think that Jake Fromm's the better player as evidenced by the fact that he beat him out of Georgia. As far as KJ Costello... I'm not super sold on him, but I do think there's some stuff to work with there. One of my biggest outliers that I'm keeping an eye on this year is Arizona's Khalil Tate because of the dual threat ability, and he was so magical in 2017, and the coaching staff really reined him in last year and really prevented him from being the the dual threat that he really was the previous year. I think he has a chance to really rebound and have a big, big step in 2019 and get himself back into the draftable conversation. 
And this next one comes in from Chris. He is at SportSees. Uh, who is your favorite and least favorite quarterback coming out of next year's draft and why? The favorite has to be Tua Tungavailoa. And I think that anyone going in a different direction is just trying to be a contrarian for the sake of being a contrarian. He's the most polished with his reads, with his accuracy. His arm's plenty big enough but he's so sharp cerebrally and he has a natural instinct and feel for the position that he just makes plays despite the fact that he has an NFL receiving crew, an NFL backfield, and a pretty good offensive line there at Bama. My least favorite? Now, there's plenty of quarterbacks across the country I could put in this in this category that won't be drafted anyway, but as far as the highly rated draftable quarterbacks, Justin Herbert doesn't really do a whole lot for me. He's basically Ryan Tannehill light. He doesn't see things. He doesn't process. He doesn't anticipate. He just has a big arm and big athletic skills, and that gets people excited. But as far as playing the quarterback position, he's just not any good at it, and I don't think that I want to see that in Miami repeated again after Tannehill. I've got two questions here asking who's going to be the starting quarterback week number one against the Ravens. The first one is from there. I don't even know your name, at Yandy underscore Roman. And the other one is... Collins at CSI Nard Dog. Early predictions, who's going to be the starting quarterback week one versus the Ravens? I think it's going to be Ryan Fitzpatrick. I think they owe him and the rest of the team that if he wins the job through camp. And I think that he will because frankly, to me right now, he's a better player. Okay, we're going to take a quick break here and come back and get to the rest of these questions as well as the satirical offseason headlines the Dolphins must avoid this offseason this summer. That next on the Locked On Dolphins podcast at Leafle NFL at Locked On Fins. But first, a quick word from Untuck It. Thanks to Untuck It for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. And if you guys are looking for a great Father's Day gift idea, their shirts are specifically designed to look great untucked and feel comfortable at work or on the weekend. No tucking or tailoring required. Go to untuckit.com. Use promo code MBA as in National Basketball Association. That's untuckit.com, promo code MBA to get 20% off your order. I want to get into a few more of these Twitter questions before we turn it over to our final segment. And I do want to apologize for the, I don't know, the lack of clarity in my voice today. I'm still kind of recovering from that stomach bug and I just don't feel 100% yet, but we're going to go ahead and get through and we're going to have Joe Shad on the podcast next week and I should be healthy and fully ready to go for that one. So I'll bring my A game for that. Let's get back into these Twitter questions here. And this one comes in from Leighton Stauffer, at Stauffer underscore Leighton. With Jesse Davis moving to right tackle, who do you think takes his spot at right guard? And is this the best use of Jesse Davis? The second part, yes, I do believe it is. Wrote an article about it, breaking down his game on tape at right tackle. And Chris Reed, to me, his best spot is right guard. So it just makes sense across the board. I'm actually intrigued by Chris Reed as much as anybody on this roster the Dolphins brought in this offseason. I think he can be a starter on the interior for a couple of years at least. Next question here from Adrian Bello at abello1257. Out of the low-risk, high-reward scrap heap signings between Carradine, Rowe, Orchard, who do you think will successfully carve out a role for this Finns team in 2019 and potentially settle into a more prominent role in the future and why? It's got to be one of the first two for me because both those guys have really good ability. They just can't stay healthy. If they can find a way to keep either of those two healthy, they're going to be prominent players on the rotation in this team, and especially Eric Rowe, who can play everywhere in the secondary, and we know how much versatility means to this coaching staff. So it's easily Eric Rowe for me, but he misses more games than he plays, like you had mentioned. But if he's healthy, he's easy pick for me on that one. 
Next question comes in from Sean Klismich, at Sean underscore Clem. Two questions. Could Kiko ever be used as a pass rusher? No, definitely not. He cannot blitz whatsoever. And we promote Van Ginkle to strong side linebacker. Nope, those are not roles for either of those players. The second question is, is there a chance that Grant can move to the two and Stills moves inside for 11 personnel sets? Yeah, absolutely. Because Jakeem Grant is actually probably more polished as an outside route runner, and it gives him more opportunities to attack vertically, and I think that's a good spot for him. So the first question, no, absolutely not. Second question, yes, absolutely. Let's do one more here from Frederick Unversgott at hook and lateral. Hook and lateral. I've read that some players aren't digging Flores' approach. Any inkling into who that might be? I have no idea. I have not read that. It's been the complete opposite from what I've heard across all beat reporters, across all outlets, and across all of my sources is that Brian Flores is unanimously loved by all the players on this team. Okay, we're going to close up the mailbag there and go into this last segment here because these next two months are basically going to see every single decision maker and coach in the National Football League holding their breath over potential off-season legal troubles and the like, whether it's something stupid and crazy like a jet ski accident or someone deep sea diving off of their, their yacht out in the ocean, whatever it might be, there's always a possibility for bad news to come this time of year. Very rarely is it good news, but I wanted to take a satirical approach to this and read off some headlines. The Dolphins need to avoid this off-season and allow me to apply a thick, Thick layer of disclaimers here. This is entirely fictional and a for fun exercise. Obviously, people getting into trouble isn't funny, and I'm not making light of the potential offseason arrests that will undoubtedly come through the NFL over the next couple of months. So with that said, let's go ahead and start with our first offseason satirical headline the Dolphins need to avoid this summer. Dolphins quarterback arrested for stealing baked goods from local bakery. I know he talked about the birthdays being from January to March, but if Ryan Fitzpatrick gets a cake fix or a, a hunkering for some cake, maybe he does break into a bakery and take some of those cakes and gets himself into some trouble for taking the cakes. Number two, Dolphins wide receiver removed from Six Flags for breaking height restriction rules. Of course, referring to Jakeem Grant, maybe he wants to go on a roller coaster. Maybe you have to be five foot seven to ride that ride. I know that's unrealistic, but maybe it happens because Jakeem can be a fiery guy and maybe he gets kicked out of Six Flags for being a little bit too combative over not getting to ride the roller coaster. Number three, pair of Dolphins defenders catastrophically injured in family softball game. Eric Rowe and Tank Carradine can never get on the field and maybe they go to a company picnic this summer or something like that where there's a softball game or a family softball game and they're flagging down a fly ball between shortstop and left field and they collide and they both get injured. Wouldn't it be so Dolphins to have both those guys get injured before the season even starts? So those are my three satirical headlines. Ryan Fitzpatrick stealing cakes. Jakeem Grant getting kicked out of an amusement park for trying to ride a roller coaster and then causing unrest once he is not allowed to ride that roller coaster. And number three, Tank Carradine and Eric Rowe getting injured in a family softball game. Hit me up with your satirical offseason headlines on my Twitter account at Wingful NFL or the show at Locked on Fins. But as for today's podcast, that is going to do it. And I want to remind you guys to check out the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app, as well as all the other podcasts. It's free, super easy to use, and has every single podcast in existence on it available for you guys. Also, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on the new Himalaya podcast app. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all your local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at NFL. 
Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your weekend. We'll talk to you on Sunday night for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Do we hold the rabbit on a chain?